Hey, good morning, all. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm Andy. Uh, I normally spend my mornings down at St. Matt's uh, and come up here at night, but it is a pleasure to come up here and be with you. And I feel like you guys are growing up there. It's, uh, that's encouraging. Um, how about I pray? Um, Heavenly Father, what a wonderful word it is uh, that we hear this morning. Uh, thank you that you do speak. And Father, we pray that you might lift our minds, our hearts, and that we might drink afresh the things of Jesus. And Father, we pray that you'd embed them uh, as you promised deep into our hearts and so that we might live honouring, trusting and serving you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I, just, I want to begin by asking you, do you know what you have in the Lord Jesus? Do you appreciate it? Do you know what you have? Uh, you will know and are aware that uh, this ancient letter was originally uh, written to Jewish Christians who had converted from the Jewish faith, and they had started well, but they had begun to suffer for their faith, hadn't they? And they were tempted to walk away. Now, the danger for these Christians who it was originally written to, they weren't thinking of rejecting God. They weren't thinking about walking away from God. No, they were kind of thinking, oh, I want to walk away from the Christian way of relating to God. And I want to go, kind of go back to what they'd had for 1,500 years, the Judaistic way of relating to God. Uh, they, they want to go into another expression of what it means to relate to the God of this world. That was their danger. Now, friends, I'm not sure if any of you here feel the pull or temptation to go to Judaism. Is there anyone here? No. I mean, if you put your hand up, because I'll try and say something to that, but I just think we are so far from the, the danger of being drawn back into the Old Testament sacrificial priestly system here now. Uh, more than that, if you want me to argue why the New Covenant's better than the Old Covenant, you would say, Really? How do you think, like, it's like trying to compare me to Messi as a soccer player? Yeah, nah, or you get that? It's, good, it's a good deal, Messi's way better. Um, friends, I think as you read a passage, you think, what, what on earth is going on here? Why is this such, labouring such a point about high priests and covenants? Uh, I think as you reflect on your own danger, and as I've reflected on I think the danger we have, it's actually not the rejecting God danger, but maybe we're a bit like the original hearers, that we might kind of want to come back to a more easier, comfortable, palatable version of Christianity that means we can live in the world and not suffer, not be persecuted, but we can kind of, you know, just have our faith and kind of instead of it being a public thing that we talk about it freely and joyfully, we just kind of keep it as our private thing to ourselves. I think that's the danger we're in, and that danger is a slow drift over time, isn't it? I mean, we're all aware last year, Andrew Thorburn, you know, CEO of Essendon for a few days, you know, we see him, whoa, I don't want to be that guy. I've got a family to provide for. We think... Man, if I, you know, do I have to choose between Christianity and my job? Uh, just because the board didn't agree, and the premier, mind you, with uh, 
the ancient Christianity's views on sexuality and abortion, but I think we look at him and we think, yeah, I know, I'm feeling that tension. I feel that in my own workplace. Uh, and maybe it's not, I don't want to walk away from God, but maybe you're just feeling the, the pull of just, you know, softening the harsh edges of Christianity a little bit. Something a little more compatible with our time. Uh, I was talking to a, a woman a, uh, a couple of weeks ago who was telling me, uh, she's an older woman, so has um, three grown-up kids, and she was saying how, you know, and her heart was quite, um, how her kids had grown up in the church, but two of them aren't following Jesus, but one of them is. Uh, and, you know, she now no longer is going to church anymore, uh, but she would still say she's, you know, following Jesus and a, a Christian, um, and as she was explaining, said, you know, how's it feel? I asked her, how's it feel about your, you know, kids not following Jesus? She said, oh, you know, I, I think they'll be all right. I think, um, you know, they're, 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 they're genuine, they're honest, they're kind of true to themselves. I think God, you know, surely God would accept them in heaven. I mean, they're not hurting anyone. See, what's happened for this woman? She's drifted so far in her life experience has meant that she's had to rethink core truths about Christianity, truths that off the lips of Jesus she disagrees with. Friends, when I or you disagree with Jesus, we have a problem, right? We have a problem. One of us is going to have to change our minds, and I know it's not God. Um, Friends, the author has written into this context this danger of a slow drift, and I think we can be like them, not in that we want to give up God, but just maybe move to a more palatable 21st century Christianity. What does he write to them? What does he say? Well, he says, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Come back to the central thing. And and he's been working his way to this. And he tells us uh, what his point is, it's always lovely when you're in a sermon and they say, this is the point I'm trying to tell you. You know, this is a sermon. So he's eight chapters in, he says, the point, verse one, have a look there with me. The point in which we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne, of the majesty in heaven. Now, just as much as a priest, I'm sure none of you have lost sleep over whether you have the right priest or not, but last week we learned that actually we all need a priest. Every single one of us need a priest because of who God is as a holy God and who we are as sinful. And what's his point? He's saying we have the perfect high priest. He's not like us. He's not weak and then dies, but he's eternal. He's not from the Levitical line, but he's from the Melchizedek line. He's one after the order of Melchizedek. And he's not a sinner like us. No, he's holy, he's blameless, he's righteous, he's perfect, and he lives forever. And last week, landed with, consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost all those who put their trust in him. He's able, and right now, what's he doing? He's interceding for us. See, what's he saying? There is this high priest, he exists. He can bring God to man and man to God, and we have him. 
We have him. Here's a um, picture, I think. Oh, is there a picture there? Here we go. This guy. You know, there is a footballer, Harlan, who scored 36 goals in 35 games. He exists. But if you're a Man City supporter, we have him. He's ours. He's ours. All the goals he scores, they're our goals. See, friends, what's he getting at? If you are in the Lord Jesus, you have the Lord, you have him. He is your high priest. He is at the Father's right hand and he's interceding for you right now. In in fact, he's done such a good job, he has his feet up. Did you notice that? He's seated. He's seated in the heavenly realm. You don't want to miss this. Jesus, as our high priest, has finished his sacrificial work. The priests were continually doing that time and time again. Constant reminder, constant reminder, not with Jesus. A once for all sacrifice. He's done. He's paid the price for our sin. We're going to unpack that more in chapter 9. But what's he doing? His feet are up because his sacrifice has been done, but he's continuing to help us persevere in his people. So he's not now serving in an earthly tent in Jerusalem, but he's actually serving in the true tent, the true temple in heaven. Verse 2, he says he's a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. See, Jesus isn't on earth, but he's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's ruling and he's the priest. He's the Melchizedek priest. And what's he doing? He's serving us in the holy places. He's interceding for you and I, that we would continue. Friends, the point is, don't miss Jesus. Don't miss him. Don't get impressed by shadows. Don't get impressed by mere um, shadows of realities. See, that's what he's getting at with this, this comparison. The, the tent, or you know, your footnote might have the tabernacle, is just a model. Uh, the temple was built off that, but it's actually a whole history lesson for us to see what actually the true tent and the true tabernacle was. The Old, Old Testament tent and tabernacle was for that. Uh, you might have seen this. I don't know if anyone's been to Brisbane lately, but there's another photo. Has anyone seen this? This is a Lego Mack truck. Like, life-size. I mean, that's impressive, right? It's a, it's a model. It's a couple. Apparently, over a million bricks uh, were used. They're going for a world record. It took over two months to build. You know, it takes them like six days to build an actual Mack truck, two months to build a Lego one. Um, but, you know, this thing's four metres high, two metres wide, eight metres long. You can see the people in the background. That's the, the size of this thing. It's pretty spectacular, isn't it, to look at? It's amazing. Wow. Look at that thing. But, friends, if you want to tow something, like if you want to go for a drive, that thing's useless. Yeah, it's a whole two months wasted. You can't even go anywhere. You just look at it and think, oh, yeah, that's an amazing Lego thing. You know, wow, whoopsie-doo. 
point is, it's a model. It's a model of the real thing. And what's what he wants to say? The author wants to say that this is the point of the temple, the, the, the temple and the tent from the Old Testament. It was always only ever a model. Have a look at verse 5. He says, uh, the priests that they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. I see here he's, he's quoting from Exodus 25, 40, and uh, Moses, the leader of God's people, after God had taken them out of slavery in Egypt, uh, they head towards the promised land and their rescue, and he get, goes up, meets God, uh, and he gets the Ten Commandments, uh, and he, God tells them how they will be his people, he will be their God, and how he will dwell with them, symbolically, in a tent, in a tabernacle. And then you just get chapters and chapters from Exodus 25 on about how this thing was built and then how, yeah, that's how it was supposed to be built and that's how it was. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't know if you've been bored reading that, but you're like, the point is, Moses copied the model. The, mo- the model was copied perfectly. But what he's saying is, what they had when they took the tabernacle, the tent around, was only ever a pattern, a copy, a shadow of the heaven reality that Moses saw. It was only Moses kind of glimpsed that reality and he was told to imitate and copy it. And so what the whole Jewish nation had experienced was never the last or the ultimate expression, but it was only a temporary, a shadow of the reality going on in heaven. Now, my, I mean, lots of you probably have children older than I do. Mine are in year four and under, and they're already asking me for mobile phones, right? They're already like, can we get a mobile phone, Dad? Can we get a mobile phone, Dad? I'm like, can you imagine? So, uh, well, now, just as an aside, I don't think we should ever give our kids mobile phones. There's so much uh, research going on about how damaging they are to the health and psychology. Fancy giving, anyway, kids, um, this isn't a mobile phone sermon, but... I, it's just astounding. I haven't done it yet, and I need to ask for some wisdom for you guys when to do it. But imagine I just said to my eldest, yeah, uh, I'll give you a mobile phone when you're older, but here's a cut-out cardboard version that you can have. You know, hold on to it. You know, this, the one's coming. I don't know when. I don't know what age, when they're 30 maybe, but um, you can hold on to it. Imagine, you know, eldest son grows up, got his cardboard thing, you know, it's probably ditched somewhere, but he's holding on to it. Once he gets the room over a phone, there's no way he's holding on to that cardboard thing, is he? He's, no, he's like, oh man, this is useless. This, this, is, this is just a cardboard cutout. It's hopeless. Throws it straight into the trash can. Trash can, don't even use that word. Bin. The bin. He's got the real thing. He's got the real deal. Point. Jesus is the real deal. He is legit. The point to the original hearers, don't go back to the cardboard cutout. It's only ever a copy, only ever a shadow, only ever a pattern of the realities which you now have in Jesus. How crazy would it be to have what you have in Jesus and then go over and pick up the cardboard thing and pretend like you're going to call someone? Pretend. No. 
You have Jesus. Friends, when you have the Lord Jesus, you don't need to fear the world. You don't need to fear the workplace, your family, your friends, your kids. I get it. I get it. I feel the pull to just go quiet, to just keep my mouth shut. No, but you have Jesus. He is our great high priest. All right, that's my first point. Second point, uh, it's, it's good because Jesus brings a new and better covenant. Okay, verse 6, have a look there with me. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Uh, that word covenant, technical word, but really just means an agreement uh, that establishes a relationship, like a contract. Uh, we have them everywhere, Netflix, everywhere, house, marriage is a covenant. Um, but they, what he's saying is they used to have, God had a covenant with his people in the Old Testament, uh, and what Jesus has brought in is a new and better and on better promises. Uh, the old covenant, there's actually many of them uh, in the Old Testament, and uh, you get different to different people, to, you know, to Noah, to Abraham, to uh, Moses. The one he's talking about here, I think, is the, the one to Moses. Uh, and that passage we read out was an example of it. Uh, if you got your Bible, you can have a look at Exodus 19, verse 5. Um, But there's a bunch of agreements that God makes with his people. Uh, Verse 5, he says, Now therefore, this is after he's rescued them out of Egypt, he says, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The key word I want you to pick up there is if, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my command, then God says, if you do that, then you'll be my treasured possession. If you obey. Now, the people he said it to, they're pretty confident, aren't they? I don't, I don't know if you I don't know any history. They're like, yeah, we got this, God. Whatever you say, we'll do it. How did it go? Like days couple of days, was it? There, Moses is up the mountain, they're building a calf to, a, like, to an idol. Uh, see, they confidently say, whatever you say, Lord, we will do. And they accepted the deal. Now, it didn't go too well for them. But friends, I think while we might not have a formal agreement with God, you know, the average Joe, the average person, probably will have an informal agreement, which they think is the terms of which God and, you know, God and we relate, I and God relate. Um, what, what do you think the average Joe would say is the kind of informal agreement between God and us? You can call out here just to see if anyone's... What, is it, what does God want from us? Be a good person. Average Joe definitely would say that. Anything else? Yeah, you got the scales. Good you do, outweighs the bad, yes. Anything else? Yeah. I'm a good bloke. 
I go to church. Yeah, I can see someone that I'm better than. I'll be all right. You know, what else? Anything else? Charity. Yeah, I give money to charity. I, you know, I, yeah, that's right. So there's, there's all sorts of things, right? This agreement that people would, I think, people in the whole just kind of think, oh, this is how our relationship with God works. Maybe, you know, it's, I've been loving and understanding and I spoke about the narrow-minded people and, you know, it's all about love. Uh, I've been a decent parent. Um, bottom line to the agreement, to that informal covenant, what is it? If I do enough, whatever that is, whatever measure that is, then God will accept me. Then God will accept me as his own. Uh, You know, every religion has this kind of covenant, apart from Christianity, the new covenant, but that, that tries to fill the void, the gap between God and us. You know, all of us, every religion knows there's a gap between God and humanity. And we ourselves know that. We can't even do what we want to do, not to mention what God wants to do. Religions, they try to fill that gap. Sacrifices, offerings, you know, other, you know, maybe some emphasize the moral code, living a good life, good works. Others, the rituals, the incantations, rites, prayers, uh, meditations. Uh, some, it's about the transformation of your mind. You know, so you, the gap is that you're enlightened. And so you've got to become enlightened. Uh, and so you've got to kind of transform your own minds. What are they all at heart saying? My covenant, my relationship with God is about keeping the rules, doing my best. And whatever those rules are, then God will be okay. And you know what the funniest thing is? The conclusion for almost everyone I'll be right. I'll be right. You know, sure, I'm not perfect, I know that, but basically I'm okay at heart and I've been sincere and genuine uh, a couple of times when I think about it. Friends, the problem the author wants to pick out with that is that kind of covenant, that kind of approach to God never works. It does not work. Have a look at uh, verse 7. As he speaks about the old covenant that he made with the Jewish nation, he says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, that is, if it worked, there would have been no occasion for a second. Verse 8, For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. See, what's going on here is he's saying, I gave you a do covenant. I gave you an if-then clause, if you're into... Anyway, it's an if clause. And if you break it, I don't uphold it. What's he say the reason for um, the covenant not working? Well, it's because of the people. Because the people, it doesn't account for sin. It doesn't account that none of us, because we're all after Adam had no chance of ever upholding our end of the bargain. No chance. Now, I don't know you all personally. Maybe some would have better chance than others, but you've got no chance. 
I know I've got no chance because I am full of sin and a do covenant will never work. But God says, and this is what's so amazing about this quote in Jeremiah, isn't it? He says, it's a covenant, this new covenant is a covenant that is done. It's not based on do, but it's done. I will do it for you and I will forgive you. Yeah, these promises that we read here, um, verses 8 to uh, there, um, from the prophet Jeremiah, 600 years, and he says, this is what it will be like in this new covenant. It's going to be all done by God. I just want to quickly race through this. Firstly, it's a covenant that's now guaranteed by God. Uh, man can't stuff it up. Did you notice that time and time again, who it depends on? Verse 8, he says, I will establish a new covenant. Verse 10, he says, this is the covenant that I will make. Uh, after those days, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Down in verse 12, he says, for I will be merciful to their sins. See, this is guaranteed by God, a relationship that you can't stuff up, a relationship that you can't wreck, secure, rock solid. Uh, he goes on, verse 10, um, says, not only is this secure because God will do it, but actually he's going to do such a profound work on the inside of his people. Verse 10, he says, For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. For after those days, it goes on, I will put my laws into their minds and I'll write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. He says, such a profound new thing he's going to do, so different from the old thing of do, but to done, that he's actually going to transform us from the inside out. He's gone right to the heart of the issue and he's giving us a new heart. It's the Ezekiel 36 promise, his spirit will come. And instead of writing it on stones of tablets, he's writing it on the people's very heart so that they will actually want to obey God from the heart. He keeps going, verse 11. And they shall not teach each other, uh, they shall not teach one his neighbour and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. He's saying, I am going to do such a work that every single humble person who recognise their sin and their need will know me personally. An intimate knowing, not knowing about, but knowing. They will know God. How is this possible? He tells us in verse 12. Verse 12, he says, with that word for. The reason this radical new covenant is possible is because for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I'll remember their sins no more. All this inner work of God based on and grounded in the fact that God will forgive us, based on and grounded in the fact of forgiveness, not merit or performance. I will remember their sins no more. I don't know if you get just overwhelmed by your sin. And if you feel like, ah, oh, I can't approach God today because of X, Y, Z... God has promised in Jesus, in the new covenant, he will remember your sins no more. Wiped, 
not because he's got a bad memory. It's not because he's getting old. It's not because he doesn't care about sin. No, there's need for the high priest, Jesus. It's because he has once for all sacrificed them on his son, Jesus. Done. Complete. New covenant. See, have you ever thought, why did God actually give the old covenant if he was always planning to give this new covenant of done? You know, why, why start with the kind of if statement, the do, and land with the done statement? Um, well, I think the New Testament tells us it's so that we today would learn from their example, so that we would learn the lesson that our hearts are sinful, that we would learn the lesson that no matter how much we want to compare sideways or find someone else, it's never enough, so that we would learn the lesson from Israel that know that we can't get there, that we need a high priest, that we need this new covenant of done. Remember what Jesus said the night before he's crucified. Take and eat this, you know, drink this. This is the blood of the new covenant. His death enables forgiveness. His blood is shed for us. He operates now as the great high priest, the eternal high priest. He's without sin and he's interceding for us now. He's the only one that can make it possible for us to have complete forgiveness. New covenant arrangement done in the Lord Jesus. Amazing. It's amazing. I have one last point before I want to finish. Uh, and my third point is that this is such good news because it it's actually works. It's because actually this is how God had promised for thousands of years for people to be able to relate to him, to know him, to be in his presence. This is his way, this new covenant. Now, I think if we read Hebrews 8 and we thought, you know, I think this is just about, yeah, the, the Jewish way was good, but Jesus is better, you know, kind of like an, like an upgrade. Uh, this week I um, fixed a, rolling, a roller door uh, to the office. It had been broken for months, right? You know, I don't know if you have those things where you just put up with something not working for so long, then you fix it. I reckon uh, every time a kid or Miri walked in, wow, this is so good, you know, just by putting some new rollers on the door. But it was amazing because it slides. <laughs> um, that is not what the new covenant is. It's not an upgrade. It's not, a, you know, you get a few new rollers added on and you get the, the latest iPhone, whatever it is. Now, this is a complete fulfilment. It's a, it's a completion. It's, it's where we've, we've moved from a copy, a shadow, a, a promise, an anticipation to fulfilment. Uh, and we've been getting these comparisons the whole way through Hebrews, right? Like just in this passage, you get the, notice the words, verse 2, you get the, this is the true tent um, versus a temporary one. In verse 5, you've got the copy of shadow language uh, and the pattern language. Uh, verse 7, you get the, the first and the second. And now verse 13... He says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. 
and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You see, see what he's getting at underneath this way of approaching a God based in history and priests and sacrificial systems and temples is actually God at work promising for people to be able to rightly relate to him. For millennia past, he's promised it, shadow, copy, time and time again, and now it's come to fulfilment. We've seen this in Hebrews, haven't we? Chapter 4, when we thought about rest, you know, there was, there was kind of anticipation about what type of rest. You've got the seven-day rest. You get the rest in the promised land. But what does he say in chapter 4? If Joshua, when they're in the promised land, had given them rest, God would never have promised another day of rest. Last week, chapter 7, with the priesthood, you know, verse 11. If perfection had been attainable through Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest? to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after Aaron. You see what is what going on there? Melchizedek last week, God dropped in this weird figure so that we would see the Levitical priesthood. That's not meant to do it. We're meant to be trusting in the Melchizedek line, the eternal priest who, can, who died and sacrificed for us. Today, Old Covenant, no is not going to do it because God's always promised to have the new covenant. He's promised that in Jeremiah 600 years before. See, the point is God had always planned to supersede the old covenant. Why would he promise all these things? Why we have all these things? Uh, because he wanted to pull all the parts of history together in the Lord Jesus. Now, for you and I this morning, as we think about what are we tempted, you know, to uh, drift and what are we going to soft on and fall away to, this point here is profound, I think. Because this is a point that he's saying, actually, what I'm arguing is this is all based on truth. This is unique among all religions. He promised, he fulfilled, he had a shadow, had the completeness. He had a pattern. He had the reality. This is something that you can look at in history and see God at work through all different peoples. For, you know, thousands of years, 40 different people write, write the, the Bible. Yet it all comes together with a unified story. What does that do to you? Oh, this is from God. This isn't a man-made religion. It's fulfilled in Jesus. And when you have him, you're at the completion. You have it all. This is the reality. Don't go back to a cardboard cutout. Don't be tempted to go soft on what God is doing in his world. Friends, the old system was never intended to be the final thing. It's always intended that Jesus would come so that he would give us complete forgiveness, that it will be done. Don't go back to a do. Don't minimise what God's word has been saying for years. Jesus is the only approach that actually works because he brings about complete forgiveness. Know what you have in him. Cling to him. Praise God for him. Let it sink deep into your hearts. And how about I pray?
Heavenly Father, what better word can we have this morning? One of your plan of salvation, which you brought about over thousands of years, which you brought to completion in Jesus, our great high priest. Father, thank you for this new covenant, the hope and confidence we can have in him. And Father, we pray that we just delight and enjoy him all the more. Amen. Hello, well, my name's Sam, and I'll be continuing to lead us in prayer. Let's pray together.